brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. Okay, we're going to be talking today about conversion disorder. Now, what that is, is when uh, uh, psychological be, uh, issues become uh, manifest themselves in physical illness. And so a lot of people don't realize this, but the main trigger is stress and trauma. Those are the two things that usually convert uh, a mental type of disorder or a mental level of stress into physical illnesses in the body. Now, how does that happen? It happens in all kinds of ways, and we'll go into that in just a little bit. Um, you know, if you look at it, a conversion disorder is is a medical diagnostic category. It's used in some uh, psychiatric uh, uh, classification systems, but it is sometimes applied to patients who present with neurological symptoms such as numbness or blindness or paralysis or fits, which are not consistent with the well-established organic cause, and uh, which causes significant distress because it can't it, it, it can be traced back only to a psychological. A trigger and not into a uh, physical trigger. So a lot of people end up going to the doctor with all kinds of different issues, but it 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 comes about through things like anxiety and depression, and it shows up in once again in a physical way. You know, the theory of conversion order basically stems from ancient Egypt, and it was formerly known as hysteria. And the concept of a conversion disorder came to the prominence in the end of the 19th century when, when uh, John Martin uh, Charcot and Sigmund Freud and psychologist uh, Pierre Janet focused their studies on the subject. And before their studies, people with hysteria were often believed to be malingering. Uh, the term conversion has its origins in Freud's doctrine that anxiety is converted into physical symptoms. And though previously thought to have vanished from the West in the 20th century, some research has suggested convergence disorder is common as it ever was. And so, uh, you know, it, it's now contained under the umbrella of a functional neurological symptom disorder. And in cases of conversion disorder, there is a psychological stressor. Now, number one, the diagnostic criteria for functional neurological symptom disorder is set out in the DSM-IV is, number one, the patient has one or more symptoms of altered voluntary motor or sensory function. And clinical findings provide evidence of incompatibility between the symptom and recognized neurological or medical conditions. And the symptom or deficit is not better explained by another medical or mental disorder. And also the symptom or deficit causes clinically significant distress, impaired social, occupational, and other areas of functioning, and it warrants a medical evaluation. So that's the basic clinical definition. Now, what are some of the signs and symptoms? It, It begins with some kind of stressor. It begins with some kind of trauma or uh, psychological distress. Usually, the physical symptoms of the syndrome affect the senses of movement. And and so, common symptoms include blindness or or partial or total paralysis or our inability to speak, deafness, numbness, difficulty swallowing, incontinence, uh, balance problems, seizures, tremors, uh, allergies, difficulty walking. And these symptoms are attributed to the conversion disorder when a medical explanation cannot be found. And so what are some of these things? Well, uh, some of the, the motor symptoms or deficits include like impaired coordination or balance, uh, weakness and paralysis of the limb or uh, the entire body. Uh, it's called hysterical paralysis or motor conversion disorder. And also uh, impaired or loss of speech, which is called uh, 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 hysterical aphonia. And also difficulty uh, swallowing or a uh, sensation of a lump in the throat. Many people have trouble with uh, urinary retention, and uh, most, uh, many of them also get psychogenic non-eleptic seizures or convulsions. Uh, they they uh, often have persistent dystonia, which is like a flatline depression, and uh, 
trimmer. Uh, they have a lot of trimmer and motor movement disorders. They have a, a lot of gait problems. What gait means is your how you walk or how you carry yourself. Uh, a loss of, of consciousness, like fainting, often happens with hysteria, conversion disorder, whatever you want to call it. Since, uh, sensory symptoms and deficits include like impaired vision, which is called hysterical blindness or double vision, impaired hearing, which is deafness, and a loss of disturbance uh, of touch or pain sensation. So there's a whole lot of things. They usually, you know, these conversion symptoms don't conform to uh, 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 other anatomical pathways and physiological mechanism. It's, it just is, it's kind of like a ghost. It comes and it goes, but this is how the body chooses to, re, uh, to react to hysteria and stress. It turns out into the conversion disorder. You know, and it's also major reasons uh, for visits at, at your primary care doctors. You know, one study of healthcare utilization estimates that 20 to 72 percent, 25, excuse me, 25 to 72 percent of all office visits to a primary care doctor involve phys, uh, psychological distress that takes the form of what's called a somatic or a physical symptom. And, and another study estimates that at least 10% of all the medical treatments and diagnostic services are ordered for patients with no evidence of organic disease. And, and conversion disorder carries a very high economic price. You know, peace, uh, patients who convert their emotional problems into physical symptoms spend nine times as much for health care as he, people who do not. And at, at 82% of adults with conversion disorder stop working because of their symptoms and end up going on disability. And the annual bill for a conversion disorder in the United States comes to around, listen to this, $20 billion, not counting absenteeism from work and disability payments. And so, you know, this thing is so prevalent and it's been around for so long in many different ways. And, and so, you know, you have to look at this and go, wow, we've got to really tackle this. Uh, you know, the, 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 the lifetime of, of conversion disorder in the general U.S. population is estimated to fall between 11 and 300 per 100,000 people. And the differences in the estimates reflect differences in the method of the diagnosis as well and some regional populational differences. In terms of clinical populations, conversion disorder is diagnosed in 5 to 14 percent of general hospital patients, 1 to 3 percent of outpatient referrals to psychiatrists, and 5 to 25 to psychiatric outpatients. And so among adults, women are diagnosed with conversion order outnumber men by two to one to 10 to one ratio. Among children, however, the gender ratio is closer to one to one. And less educated people, those of lower social or economic status, are more likely to develop a conversion disorder. Race by itself does not appear to be a factor, though. And so there is, however, a major difference between the populations of developed in developing countries. In developing countries, the prevalence of conversion disorder may run as high as 31%. And, and it's very complicated to, to, to diagnose this and its coexistence with physical illness in as many as 60% of patients. And alternately explained, a diagnosis of conversion disorder does not exclude the possibility of a concurrent organic disease. But the examining doctor will usually order a mental health evaluation when conversion is suspected. And so x-rays, imaging studies that may be useful and appropriate, laboratory tests may, may also be taken in by the doctor. So this thing can go all over the place, all over the place. And the doctor can also list uh, factors known to be associated with conversion disorder. So age, number one, conversion disorders rarely seen in children younger than six and in adults 35, over 35. Uh, sex, the female to male ratio for the disorder ranges between, once again, 2 to 1 to 10 to 1. And it's thought that the higher rates of conversion disorder in women may reflect the greater vulnerability of females to abuse. Also, uh, people who live in rural areas are more likely to develop a conversion disorder than those who live in big cities. Also, uh, conversion disorder occurs less often among sophisticated or highly educated people. 
And children sometimes develop uh, conversion disorder from observing their parents' reactions to stressors. And this process is known as social modeling. And so what happens is basically the parent teaches the child how to have a conversion disorder. And so, uh, you know, a, a stressful change or an event in a person's life is usually what it's attributed to. And, um, you know, it, it is very, very prevalent and it is very, very treatable. And also there's some medical mimics that are on top of this. Uh, multiple sclerosis uh, could be a mask uh, for this. There may be something there or uh, uh Muscle weaknesses or uh, um, motor sensory symptoms, any of those type of things can be a a, a tremendous uh, medical illness. But also what happens is, is it may be there. It may be that, but the, the doctor can't find it, so they attribute it to a mental issue. You know, patients diagnosed with conversion frequently benefit from a team approach to treatment, from a combination of uh, um, particularly beneficial when the patient has a history of abuse or they're being treated for a concurrent physical condition. So sometimes it's good to have a therapist and the doctor working together to see how they can eliminate symptoms. You know, uh, uh, psychotherapy is sometimes used with children and adolescents to help them gain insight into their symptoms. And also cognitive behavioral approaches have been tried with good results. And family therapy is often recommended for younger patients whose symptoms may be related to uh, the family's dysfunction. Or group therapy can be helpful, particularly useful, helping adolescents learn social skills and coping strategies and decrease their dependency on their families. And, uh, you know, sometimes people are diagnosed uh, with this and have to be actually hospitalized. So, you know, that's going through all the clinical stuff here. But, but we have to understand what is the cause? You know, with the, while the specific cause of conversion disorder is, is still being studied, and it is, it's, it's way early in the stages of development and studies to try to see how this comes about. But, but it, it is seen as a way for your brain to deal with an emotional conflict. And it's almost always triggered by stressful situations and mental disorders. And the symptoms usually develop suddenly. You know, women uh, sometimes have it more than men, once again. And sometimes physical symptoms might help resolve some sort of internal conflict. For example, if you're struggling with the desire to hurt someone, conversion disorder may cause you to develop paralysis, making it impossible to act on that desire. And uh, also, uh, they look at issues involving your nervous system. So when we're looking at how it converts, it's usually coming from the nervous system. Usually, the affect is somewhere in the brain, the spinal cord, or the nerves where it is actually taking effect physically. You know, uh, so we have uncontrollable movements, tunnel vision, blindness, loss of smell or speech, uh, numbness, paralysis. But there's no test to, to diagnose conversion disorder. And because the cause is unknown, it's usually diagnosed by the process of elimination. So when tests rule out other physical, mental, neurological causes, your doctor may ask you if you've experienced any recent traumatic events. You know, for your doctor to diagnose you with conversion disorder, your symptoms have to meet the standards by the American Psychiatric Association. So they affect your movement, senses, and you can't control them. They can be related to a stressful event, but they don't have to be. And you're not faking them. They may be explained by another condition, like another uh, or a medication or a behavior that you've developed or learned and had that modeled for you. And they also cause you a whole lot of stress in social and work settings. And they aren't usually caused by it. They, uh, they are usually caused by a mental health problem. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to see how this thing comes out in people's lives and how it works. You know, we're going to talk about undifferentiated somatoform, anaphylaxis, and uh, all kinds of stressed out physical symptoms that can get to it. And then we're going to get down to the base of how stress can be stopped. Come back. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. 
Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about conversion disorder. That's when your psychological symptoms move into a physical illness. And they manifest in all kinds of physical ways. Um, we're going to go into the asthma part of this and into uh, the allergy part of this because a lot of people have what's called idiopathic anaphylaxis, uh, uh, which is a well-described syndrome, uh, anaphylaxis, without any recognized external trigger. You know, these the patients that get this, and this is a very serious illness, these patients present with the same symptoms as patients with other types of uh, anaphylactic reactions. So the attacks occur with variable frequency. Fatalities have actually been reported in patients who have been diagnosed with idiopathic anaphylaxis. However, there's a variant which is 60% of the population of the people that have uh, idiopathic anaphylaxis is actually a somatoform, meaning it's undifferentiated somatoform anaphylaxis. This is the most common, and that means that there is no root that they can find to the allergy or, or to the asthma. And it can be very serious. You know, uh, hi- hypotension and increased pulse rate is something that they experience. Wheezing and, and strider, hives, um, flushing, itching, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, difficulty swallowing, lightheadedness, loss of conscious. You know, uh, the, the, the 60% experience symptoms of upper airway obstruction who have idiopathic anaphylaxis, but also, once again, 60% is consistent in also the somatoform, meaning that, that there is no root, there is no medical diagnosis that they could find where you actually have this. It's just something to do with trauma or stress and your body reacting to it. You know, and I think it's important to understand that in adults, you know, uh, there, there oftentimes is no known cause of how these things get manifested. So the fact that the cause has not been detected by comprehensive testing does not rule out, um, you know, exposure as the cause of, of the anaphylaxis, but it may not be allergy per se. But we can uh, well be uh, external triggers that acts through another mechanism. However, 
It's a well-known entity entitled, once again, Undifferentiated Somatoform Anaphylaxis. So reports have appeared in literature over the last few decades, and we've seen several people, they've seen several people who have somatoform reactions which mimic the anaphylactic events. So it comes out, once again, as an allergy or it comes out as, as asthma. And, you know, it's just amazing how our brains can dictate what our body does and how it reacts. You know, um, uh, somatic symptom disorder is another thing. And, and so the primary somatic symptom disorders may be associated with the heightened awareness of normally body sensations. So, you know, if you look at the pathology of where this comes from, brain imaging studies say there is an association between one or more of the somatic symptom disorders, which reduce the volume, basically, and if you think neurologically, of the brain's amygdala and the brain's connectivity between the amygdala and the brain regions controlling executive and motor functioning. You know, prevalence rates for the most restrictive uh, previous diagnosis of, of somatoform disorder is usually low in community samples. Low community prevalence rates for somatic symptom disorder maybe comes from the reporting bias. But, you know, the medical record studies suggest that somatic symptom disorder in the community among women uh, may be as high as 2% and more liberal uh, uh, criteria may say it's up to 11.6% in women. So uh, usually, you know, it, it happens. These disorders happen in childhood, adolescence, or early adulthood. And then a new onset of unexplained somatic symptom disorders in older adults should prompt uh, for, for, for more research because this thing just comes out and takes over. There's also a medical diagnosis called illness anxiety disorder. And it's, it's basically a persistent fear of having grave medical illness. A person with disorder pays excessive attention to their health. And, and you may have no physical symptoms or you may believe that normal body sensations or minor symptoms are signs of severe illness, even though a thorough exam doesn't reveal a serious medical condition. And, it, and I've seen so many people that focus on the, the, that thinking they have a grave medical illness because they've had heart palpitations or a panic attack or whatever, and actually it usually is a derivative of that. You know, if you have a medical condition or you're a high risk of developing one, you could become consumed by the worry. You may experience excessive anxiety that a body sensation associated with the known illness signals a much greater threat than it actually exists. And so that, that excessive anxiety, rather than the physical symptom itself, results in severe distress that can completely be disabling. And, and with illness anxiety disorder, it's a long-term condition that can fluctuate in severity, and it, it, it may increase with age or during times of stress. But psychological counseling and sometimes medication can help lower those worries. Anxiety is associated with, with medical factors such as anemia, asthma, infections, several heart conditions, some medical-related uh, causes of anxiety include stress from serious medical illness, side effects of medication, symptoms of medical illness, lack of oxygen, uh, or pulmonary embolism. And so, you know, many of these studies have found health problems related to stress. And stress seems to worsen or increase the reach of, of conditions like obesity, heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, depression, uh, gastronomical problems, and asthma. And, and before you get too stressed out about being stressed out, there's some good news. You know, you want to have some stress relief tips. And, and so, you know, let's first uh, look at how stress is treated by our bodies. Number one, heart disease. Heart disease is huge with people that are stressed out. You know, researchers have long suspected that the stressed out type A personality has a higher risk of blood pressure and heart problems. And we don't know why. You know, stress can directly increase heart rate, blood flow, and it causes the release of cholesterol and uh, triglycerides into the bloodstream. And it's also possible that stress is related to other problems, like the increase in likelihood of smoking, obesity, 
that indirectly increase heart rates. And, and uh, uh, you know, doctors do know that sudden emotional stress can be a trigger for serious cardiac problems, including heart attacks. And people who have chronic heart problems need to avoid acute stress. And acute stress means stress that happens immediately, stress that is consistent, that you can predict, you know, but life is, is uh, unavoidable stressors. And the whole idea is the more of a control freak that you are, the more stress you're going to have in your life because the only thing you can control is you. And so the deal is many people like to manipulate and control. And when you do that, you're going to be a stressed out human being. You know, asthma. Many studies have shown that stress can worsen asthma. Some evidence suggests that that a parent's chronic stress might even increase the risk of developing asthma in their children. And so one study looked at how uh, parental stress affected the asthma rates of young children who are also exposed to air pollution and whose mothers smoked during pregnancy. And the kids' stressed-out parents had a substantial higher risk of developing asthma. So once again, we pick it up sometimes off our parents. Also, obesity. You know, excess fat in the belly seems to pose greater and greater health risks than fat on the legs or the hips. But unfortunately, it's just where people with high stress seem to store it. And so, uh, you know, stress causes higher levels of hormone cortisol. And that seems to increase the amount of fat that's deposited in the abdomen because the body thinks it's having to preserve itself. And so what it does is it just stores fat because of the stress level. It thinks it's going to be under attack. It goes into basically a fight or flight and that cortisol is released. And basically what happens is the body reacts and picks up a lot and makes you eat like a horse, eat horribly and uh, stressly. So many people eat from stress. Also diabetes. You know, stress can even worsen diabetes in two ways. First, it increases the likelihood of bad behaviors such as unhealthy eating and excessive drinking. And second, stress seems to raise the glucose levels of people with type 2 diabetes directly. Also, headaches. Stress is considered one of the most common triggers for headaches. Not just tension, but headaches and migraines. And and Depression and anxiety is also probably no surprise that chronic stress is connected to higher rates of depression, higher rates of anxiety. We feel like our lives out of control. And, and one survey of recent studies found that people who had stress related to their jobs, like uh, demanding work with few rewards, had 80% higher risk of developing depression within a few years than people with lower stress. Also, you know, stomach problems. There's one thing that stress doesn't do. It doesn't cause ulcers. However, it can make them worse. And so stress is also a very common factor in many of the GI conditions such as chronic heartburn, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, and also Alzheimer's disease. One, One animal study found that stress might worsen Alzheimer's disease, causing its brain lesions to form more quickly. Some researchers have speculated that reducing stress has the potential to slow down the progression of the disease. Also, accelerated aging. Anybody that's living with stress, there's actually evidence that stress can affect how you age. You know, one study compared the DNA of mothers who gave, who were under high stress, and they were caring for a chronically ill child with a woman who were not. And researchers found that that a particular region of chromosomes showed the effects of accelerated aging. Stress seemed to accelerate aging for about 9 to 17 additional years. That means 9 to 17 years off your life due to the level of stress that you have. Premature death is also a big factor with stress. And, and the health effects of stress by studying elderly caregivers looking for looking after their spouses, people who are naturally under a great deal of stress, it found that caregivers had 70% higher rate of death than the people their age who were not caregivers. That is a big, big deal. Now, let's talk about being constructive. Stress management. You know, it, it isn't only a feeling. Stress, stress isn't just in your head. It is a a built-in physiological response to a threat. So when you're stressed, your body responds. Your blood vessels constrict, your blood pressure, your pulse rises, you breathe faster. Your bloodstream is flooded with hormones such as cortisol and adrenaline. And by the way, cortisol and adrenaline don't 
do well in the liver and they just sit there and they cause a lot of anxiety. And if you don't exercise and sweat those things out, they sit in that liver forever and ever and ever. And your body just gets fatter and fatter and disorders take place all over the place because your immunities aren't being able to be eliminated. So when you're uh, chronically stressed, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, physiological changes over time that can lead to health problems. So while a number of health problems related to stress might be alarming, you know, let's not despair about it. You know, because basically studies suggest that stress management techniques will not only make you feel better, but they also, uh, they improve your, your uh, mortality and they also improve your immunity system. You know, st- so what are some ways to fight back against stress and improve your health? The next time you feel stressed, here's some things that you could do. Number one, you want to breathe deeply. When you're stressed, you clench your teeth and you breathe through your nose, and you only breathe through one nostril at a time. So basically what happens is the body is not getting the oxygen. All the soft organs are not getting the oxygen they need because you're only getting a straw's worth of oxygen into your body. And what that means is, first of all, air only has about 22% oxygen, and so when you're breathing through your nose, your brain's going to collect all the oxygen and leave the rest out of your bloodstream. Now, Oxygen is what makes the sun blow up. That's also what makes our our organs operate. So, yes, we're going to have lots of problems if we're a stressed out person breathing. And that breathing is going to cause our organs to sputter. And so you want to breathe deeply. But I'll tell you another way to do it is water. Water has about 83%. If you have an aerated bottle, one that, you know, that, that like, like a sports bottle, it goes instantly, activates the, the oxygen molecules, and the rest of and all of a sudden your brain resets and your body resets and your stuff, stress levels can go way down. But you have to eliminate the thoughts that contribute to the stress level. So first of all, you want to breathe deeply, drink water. And, and just a few minutes of deep breathing can calm you and basically lower that physiologic stress response. While building a specific time to relax each day is a really, really, really good idea. And one advantage to deep breathing for stress relief is that you can do it anywhere. Um, and at your desk or in your parked car, for instance. And so, it, though you may breathe, as you breathe out, you relax a specific muscle group. So, start with the muscles in your jaw. One of the next breakout, uh, relax your shoulders and then move through the different areas of your body that are stressed out until they all feel calm. You also want to focus on the movement. When you're stressed, you're probably living in the future or the past and you're worried about something, what to do next and regretful about something you've already done. And to some stress relief, instead of trying to focus on what you're doing right now, you can calm yourself down by bringing yourself back to the present moment. And if you're walking, feel the sensation of your legs moving. And if you're eating, focus on the taste and the sensation of the food. So that's bringing yourself to the present. And many people don't even know what that's like because all they live in is their past and their future. And they're so freaked out by both that they live their life trying to defend rather than living. You also want to reframe the situation, you know, so you're already running late or you're finding yourself stuck in traffic or something like that. So you get worked up over that reaction, but, but it won't help you at all. Rather than swearing or pounding the steering wheel, get a different perspective. Look at the time as a opportunity, a few minutes to yourself where you don't have any other obligations. So make peace with it. Make peace with accept the moment that you're in. You also want to keep your problems in perspective. You know, it might be uh, most of the time you're feeling stressed out. Think about the things for which you're grateful. You know, we get stressed when we focus on so much on a situation or a problem and we've lost perspective and we're out of touch. So, you know, we need to uh, remind ourselves in basic ways in which you're lucky and, and, and how you, you enjoy your family, your friends that you can see and that, you, that can, they're right there with you and they love you. You know, it's important to keep those things in perspective. Also, um, while, you know, while some of this basically uh, techniques can help you in the moment, it also can make uh, a few larger changes in the way of life. So if you handle your stress, you're going to handle your health. All right. We're going to come out and 
uh, we're going to come back here in a few minutes and uh, we're going to go into more stress symptoms and more tips on how to handle it. And uh, we're going to talk about stress and erectile dysfunction and immunity problems. Come back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about conversion disorder, and this is where the physical, uh, psychological symptoms convert into physical symptoms. And once again, the biggest trigger is either trauma or stress. That's what causes these. They're called a somatic disorder because somatic means it's moved from psychological stress anxiety, depression, and converted itself into something else. And, when, you know, one of, some of the things that, that happens is pseudo-paralysis, where the patient loses half of their body uh, ability to move or a single limb may stop working. And the weakness does not follow an, anatomical patterns. And it's often inconsistent upon the repeat examination. So the doctor can't find a root cause. It's, uh, it's psychological, also, people have pseudosensory uh, sensory, uh, syndromes, and people with these syndromes often complain of numbness or a lack of sensation in various parts of their body. And the loss of sensation typically follows uh, um, the patient's notion of their anatomy rather than known characteristics of the human nervous system. Some people have, uh, actually the truth is, a lot of people that have had sexual crimes committed to them may lose sensation in their in their uh, pubic or vaginal areas because uh, they have had trauma related to sex and so they numb up in those particular areas. And once again, all of these are rooted in the nervous system. The nervous system is where, or the brain, is where these things come from. So uh, some people get psycho seizures, uh, pseudo seizures, sorry. And uh, these are very difficult symptoms of conversion and, and to distinguish from actually uh, organic equivalents. You know, between five to 35% of patients with uh, pseudo seizures also have epilepsy and uh, you know EEGs measurement of uh, uh, serum palactin levels are useful in distinguishing the psycho seizures from the epileptic seizures also pseudocoma is also difficult to diagnose from time to time a true coma may indicate a life-threatening condition so patients must be given standard treatments for coma until the diagnosis can be established that it is a pseudocoma also, some people get psychogenic movement disorders, and, and so this can uh, mimic like uh, Parkinson's or, or dys, uh, dystonia or, or uh, tremors, and uh, doctors sometimes give patients with uh, psychogenic uh, movement disorders a placebo medication to determine whether the movements are psychogenic or result of, in an organic disorder. Also, uh, pseudo-blindness. You know, pseudoblindness is one of the most common forms of conversion disorder, and it's related to vision, replacing 
a mirror in front of the patient and tilting it from side to side can often be used to determine pseudo blindness because humans tend to follow the reflection of their eyes. And also, um, uh, seeing double can usually be diagnosed with examining the patient's eyes. Also, um, drooping of their upper eyelid is a common symptom. Um, and, and this is something that people often will experience with the conversion disorder or hysterical aphonia, which aphonia refers to the loss of the ability to produce sounds. So uh, patients cough and whisper are normal, but examination of the throat reveals normal movement for the vocal cords, but they can't talk. And so that's oftentimes what happened. You know, psychiatrists that are working in various parts of the Middle East and Asia report that symptoms of conversion disorder uh, do not fit well with the symptoms of the disorder most frequently encountered in their patient populations. So, you know, let's look at, um, let's look at stress symptoms. Now, here's, here's what we correlate to stress. If you're stressed, you know, we're stressed. Everyone's stressed. No big deal, right? Because so common, you might think that you're not lying on the floor from exhaustion, but you're probably fine. You know, stress has an insidious way of creeping up on you, and it's not just a mental or emotional issue. Stress symptoms can impact the body in some very bizarre ways, like hair loss. Roughly three to six months after a major stressful event, like getting axed from a job or ending a big relationship, you might notice more hair on your brush and in your drain than usual. And shedding around 100 strands a day is normal. But uh, super high levels of sex hormones called uh, androgens, which zoom up during stress, could mess with your hair follicles and prompt temporary hair loss. Also, eye twitching. You know, eye twitching is annoying muscle spasms. Typically occur around one eye and last for a few minutes. And stress is one of their most common causes, though doctors aren't quite sure why it ends up as a twitching eyelid. You know, acne, just like your hair, your skin is very sensitive to those higher than normal androgens. And so this can bring about breakouts. And so you want to talk to your dermatologist if your zits just keep coming back. So the chronic inflammation can lead to scarring and um, you know just try to resist the urge to scar yourself by popping them all the time you know the body's ability to heal is not at its peak when you're stressed out also back pain very common with stress you know the, the hormones your body pumps out when you're stressed produce a fight-or-flight response and, and so which along with raising your blood pressure and your heart rate this tightens up your muscles so if you're trying to outrun a predator, that's good. But if it's all the time, that sort of chronic stress response can lead to pain. So muscle aches are par for the course if you're hunched over at your desk all day worrying about deadlines. Also rashes. You know, stress brings on mysterious rashes and flare-ups of pre-existing conditions. And that's because it can throw your immune system, not to mention your skin's defenses, out of whack. And so when these are lowered, you could become uh, susceptible to rash causing skin infections uh, and it can even cause a, a staph infection. You know, on the flip side, if your immunity goes into overdrive, your skin will become more sensitive, making a dormant issue like uh, eczema act up. Now, here's an interesting thing. If you've ever heard of uh, essential oils like doTERRA, what's interesting about those oils is they the oil in a plant or a fruit is actually their defense mechanism. And so many people that are highly stressed, if they can replace, if they can find out where they're having a problem and get with like a wellness advocate, what will happen is they will be able to replace and, and beef up their white blood cell count that the stress is so destroyed and actually replace their own defense mechanism with the plants, which will enhance their ability to fight back against these stressful symptoms. And those oils in the plant are pure. And so what's cool, or, or fruit, and what's cool is you can drip them in water and put them in a dispenser and it actually will make the room smell good. You can do all kinds of stuff with those oils. They bring down your stress levels enormously. Stress is a big, the, 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 is a big factor with those kinds of essential oils because they're so effective at, at reversing the symptoms that come about from stress. You know, so here's some tips to bring down uh, your, your, your thing. Once again, deep breathing. You know, you want to lie down on the floor, begin breathing deeply and slowly, 
let your hands rest under your face, maybe for about five minutes. You want to you want to sit in a reclining chair and put a hand on your abdomen and a hand on your chest and breathe. And make sure your hand is on your abdomen and is moving up and down rather than one on your chest. And if the hand on your abdomen is moving, you you are breathing deeply and slowly. So, you know, you, you also want to try a progressive muscle uh, relaxation, deep muscle relaxation, maybe a massage. You know, uh, progressively tense, relaxed muscle group in your body. So, you, you, you tense it up and then you relax it. And basically, if it's in your shoulders, if it's in your arms, wherever you hold your stress, you tense it and relax it. Tense it and relax it. Also, meditation. Uh, use a visual or a guided imagery to help you with your thoughts. You know, sit quietly with your eyes closed and imagine the sights, the sounds, the smells of your favorite place, such as a beach, a mountain retreat, a, you know, a, a lake, the ocean, whatever it is. And you also want to exercise. Exercise is big, big in knocking down stress. If you're able to exercise, especially cardio, you're basically giving your body at least 60% of what an antidepressant would give it. And that is a wonderful thing because that is going to relax you. Exercise is a great release and it also cleans out that liver so you detox and you're able to fight with immunities much better. You also want to set aside to, to, uh, to do relaxation, and a lot of people don't do that. You want to learn and monitor your stressors and come up with an organized plan for handling stressful situations. You know, be careful not to overgeneralize negative reactions to things. You want to make a list of important things that you need to handle each day and try to follow the list so you can feel organized and on top of things and put together a coping plan step by step so you have a sense of mastery. You want to keep an eye on things that, that might suggest that you're not coping well. For example, uh, you're, you're smoking or you're drinking more or you're sleeping less. And, uh, you know, it's really important to make a list of those big item things you do in a day and then try to ask yourself, how stressed out does that make me? And if it's something that stresses you out, it's something you need to have a coping plan with. You know, you got to get the right amount of sleep, though, if you're going to stay in balance. And you really have to cultivate a sense of humor, which most people that are stressed out have no sense of humor. They just go to the clammy club, and that's about the only time they laugh in their life, and, and unless the comedian sucks. You know, you want to cultivate a sense, uh, once again, of humor. And research has shown that having a close, confidential relationship protects you from many stresses. So don't run from your problems. And that only makes it worse. Go towards the problems and find out how they cannot be something that stresses you out. Okay, stress and erectile dysfunction. You know, stress, anxiety, erectile dysfunction, are they're very strongly connected. Stress and anxiety cause ED. Uh, plus, men facing increased stress or anxiety may also have uh, increased their blood pressure, their cholesterol, you know, all of these contribute to a man having erectile dysfunction. And the causes of ED can both be uh, uh, physiological and uh, psychological. So the stress of treatment for physical causes depends on your condition. You know, studies show that psychological factors are the most common cause of ED. You know, psychological causes like uh, emotional and environmental factors are usually curable. And so, Heart disease, once again, blood pressure, high cholesterol levels, obesity, and excess alcohol consumption all lead to uh, ED. You know, what's really interesting also is that men at 40 are now uh, having prevalent signs of ED. Uh, Even at 40, at that young age, lots of people are getting into that ED type of uh, thing, and that's because they're not handling their stress. Also, uh, stress and immunity. This is a big one. You know, the body basically responds to physical, mental, and emotional pressure by releasing stress hormones such as uh, n-pineprine and uh, neopineprine that increase blood pressure. They speed the heart rate and they raise blood sugar levels. And these changes help a person act with greater strength and speed to escape the perceived threat. So the research has shown that people who experience intense or long-term chronic stress can have digestive problems, fertility problems, 
urinary problems, weakened uh, immunity system, and people who experience chronic stress are also more prone to viral infections such as the flu or the common cold, to have headaches, sleep problems, depression, anxiety. All those stress can cause a number of physical health problems. The evidence that it can cause cancer is, is pretty weak. But the studies have indicated a link between various physiological factors and the risk of developing cancer because, once again, stress directly attacks the immunity system. You know, psychological stress could arise in several ways. For example, people under stress may develop certain behaviors such as smoking or overeating or drinking alcohol, and this increases the person's risk for cancer. Or someone who has a relative with cancer may have a high risk of cancer because of the shared inherited risk factor, not because of the stress induced by the family member's diagnosis. And people who have cancer may find the physical, emotional, and social effects of the disease to be a derivative of stress. So those who attempt to manage their stress with risky behaviors such as smoking or drinking, who become more sedentary, poorer quality of life after cancer treatment and contract, people who use effective coping strategies to deal with stress such as relaxation, stress management, they've been shown to have lower levels of depression, anxiety, and symptoms related to cancer and its treatment. So, uh, you know, stress is best basically a gene. It's a gene in our 32 common genetic uh, code. And that stress gene is the one that dictates when your brain decides to give you the exit strategy out of life. And so what that basically does is that gene commands if you have cancer, if you have heart disease, if you have diabetes, any of those things, that gene is going to turn that exit strategy on. And though a doctor may be able to save your life, though somebody may be able to cure it, it will always be there and always try to push it to the end of your life. That means it may reoccur and reoccur and reoccur again simply because that gene has turned on your exit strategy. All right. That's our show. Our next show is What is Sexy? Now, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. My email is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net and Twitter at drgbmft. Now, remember... Exercise relieves stress, but nothing relieves exercise. Also, the trouble with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. That's Lily Tomlin. And one more. There cannot be a stressful crisis next week. My schedule is already full. Henry Kissinger. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 